What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We are joined by three amazing guests today. First, Kali Akuno, co-founder and co-director of Cooperation Jackson. Kali served as the director of special projects and external funding in the mayoral administration of the late Chokwe Lumumba of Jackson, Mississippi. He also served as the co-director of the U.S. Human Rights Network, the executive director of the People's Hurricane Relief Fund based in New Orleans, Louisiana, after Hurricane Katrina, and was co-founder of the School of Social Justice and Community Development based in Oakland, California. What's up, Kali? How are you? I'm good and good to be back, Kat. Hope you're doing well. I am doing all right, my brother. It's good to finally get you back on the airways for sure. We are also joined by Matt Meyer, an internationally recognized author, academic, organizer, and educator, recently re-elected Secretary General of the International Peace Research Association based in New York City. Meyer works with both PM Press and Africa World Press and serves as Africa Support Network Coordinator for War Resisters International, as well as Chair of the International Fellowship of Reconciliation Financial Advisory Committee. The author, editor of over a dozen books, Meyer is Senior Research Scholar at the University of Massachusetts Amherst Resistance Studies Initiative. Hello, Matt Meyer. Thank you for coming on the show. Wow. Wow. That is a mouthful, Kat. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know about all those titles. I'm just a friend of Kali and Saki's here. Honored to be with you and with them here talking about cooperation, Jack. Listen, I'll tell you, because in Saki, I'm about to read your her bio too. I do this with Black people. We do not get our flowers enough. We are hardworking people and, and folks need to know. Um, so we are, last not least, uh, joined by Sakajawiya Saki Hall, a radical Black feminist, activist, mother, birth worker, educator, and journalist who loves creating. She sees her life's work as engaging in the collective struggle for African liberation, human rights, and social transformation. She's a native Lower East Side New Yorker who migrated to Jackson, Mississippi in December 2013 to help advance the Jackson Cush Plan. She's a founding member of Cooperation Jackson. Hello, Saki. Hi, thanks. Good to be with you. Thank you, all of you, uh, for, for coming on the show. All three of these guests are editors, contributors of a new book, Jackson Rising Redo, Lessons of Building the Future in the Present. All right, I want to start uh, with, with the personal a little bit uh, with each of you. I'd like you each to introduce yourselves and give some framing for how um, you got to Cooperation Jackson. Um, Saki, actually, I want to start with you. Okay. Um, so after studying in undergrad and being at the University of Cape Town for like a postgraduate program, I got, I went back to New York in 2002. Um, and I, I came back home specifically looking for a political organization, a political home and a way to begin, um, being active, um, particularly in the black liberation movement. Um, and so in 2002, I joined the Malcolm X grassroots movement and fast forwarding to the process of um, creating the Jackson Cush plan and having debates around um, engaging electoral politics specifically. Um, you know, I, as a member of the organization and just personally um, committed to the idea of, well, I had already moved to the South, so I was in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and um, grappled with the idea of moving either even further 
into the deep south um, and being in Jackson. And honestly, at first I was like, I'm in Atlanta. We've been going back and forth. We have national conventions. You know, we went back and forth during the electoral campaign for Baba Shokwe to run for city council. I was kind of like, I'm good <laughs> being involved, um, you know, from a distance. Um, but the idea and the really the intergenerational um, work that was happening at the time and the potential to um, be engaged on like a, a, a deep, deep rooted level, um, I think was what ultimately made that move something that not only that I was willing to do, but that I was excited about doing. Mm. Um, and so moving here um, and figuring out my place, my role, um, based on you know the previous work, but also based on like work I hadn't done before. Um, and land and housing has always been close to me. You know, the interview with Tandi Sizwe, um, Chimarenga in the first book, which is actually reprinted in our second book, you know, talks about that history that I have and even unknowingly being a part of a housing cooperative on the Lower East Side in New York City. So, um, you know, wanting to push myself um, and do something outside of my experience was around the economic democracy and the solidarity economy. And I feel like a lot of us actually have engaged in levels of it, but to actually start studying it, learning a history about it, and then trying to apply that here in the context um, was something that I also was excited about. Um, and so, yeah, um, me, Kali, and uh, a big group of us actually um, co-founded and started Cooperation Jackson. When I moved here, um, I was the coordinator for the Jackson Rising New Economies Conference. Um, and so that was really the start of my journey into this work. Um, and yesterday, we celebrated on May Day our ninth anniversary. Mm. Thank you for that, Madam. I'll throw the same question to you. How you get here? Well, I think for me, um, there is uh, that personal is political connection. So uh, I also think it's important to note, I'm not based here. Uh, most of my work is international. And, and when I do uh, come back to the States, uh, my base is still in New York City, which is my home and, uh, you know, several generations, my, my, my home. But the fact is, uh, from work in New York and from international work, there always was an understanding about the land and some understanding about the South. I, uh, I did work, uh, much of my work with the Puerto Rican independence movement and, uh, through my connections with, uh, Luis Nieves Falcón, um, and also through my work with political prisoners in the black liberation movement, I knew of the work of Baba Chokwe Lumumba. And actually, now this personal political connection, I wrote an obituary when Baba Chokwe and Luis Neves Falcone passed away around the same time. Now, it's also true that before all that happened, a dear brother of mine named Kamau Franklin, 
uh, who's now in Atlanta, but was another New Yorker back in the day. Uh, you know, Kamau was in Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and began talking about moving to the South. And so there's a wave of folk uh, who, who make the decisions uh, early on to move back to the land, to make the phrase and the vision, free the land, a more day-to-day -day practical reality. And for a number of us, myself included in my community, what solidarity meant, not just solidarity economy, but solidarity writ large uh, became more and more focused. Fast forward a little bit, Kamau and I meet up uh, again, not the first time, but a, a formative time in Venezuela at the founding of the first Eco-Socialist International. The idea of putting out this new version of the book, reflecting on new realities and looking at the future and moving forward uh, became a project that uh, became close to all of us. And so, as I say, between the political connections of understanding the primacy of the South and the primacy of work here in Jackson, especially after Baba Chokwe's move and then uh, election as mayor, um, builds into all of these deepening personal and interpersonal connections. So it just becomes part of life that is necessary to build the movement and to move forward. Kali. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your turn. My turn. Um, yes, I'll try to give a short version of this. Um, you know, having um, family members, you know, um, parents, relatives who were you know, partisans of the new African independence movement since before I've been born. Um, you know, I've been anchored uh, in this way, you know, grew, grew up with, um, you know, the understanding that uh, a core component of our folks, you know, liberating ourselves, uh, at least, you know, in North America, that a large part of that path goes through what we call the U.S. South, the New African National Territory. So uh, I was always geared to a certain level to that extent, but it wasn't until my teenage years that I began to really not just say, okay, this is something that, that I've been kind of indoctrinated in, but to really understand the strategic importance uh, and, and uh, 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 make a commitment towards achieving that in one way or another uh, by myself. And, you know, one of the critical uh, turning points uh, for me uh, becoming, you know, the, the political uh, fanatic I am now uh, was, you know, growing up in Los Angeles and being there uh, in 1984 during the Olympics and watching how LAPD and the LA Sheriff's Department uh, basically just cleaned house. Uh, on in the community a couple of months beforehand, uh, and really just brought, you know, the the burgeoning cocaine, the crack epidemic, brought that to kind of a halt. Uh, and what that <clears throat> what that led me to really just realize was that a lot of the the, you know, uh, rhetoric in particular that my father used to teach me about, you know, the role of the government and how powerful the government was. You know, I used to sit there and think that my old man was exaggerating, but that was the clear evidence to me, like, no, uh, he was more on point than I knew. Uh, and the type of 
warfare that we were beginning to experience, intercommunal warfare that we were beginning to experience in 82, 83, 84 in Los Angeles, which has been made uh, so glamorized both rightly and wrongly by what's this, what's that uh, uh, Snowfall is the name of their show? A large part of what, you know, Brother John Singleton, who also grew up in L.A., who created that show, you know, he's trying to tell a particular story and politicize and brought brought home the primacy of how the United States government, you know, uh, waged war both on the black community and the brown communities in Los Angeles and throughout the United States. But simultaneously, you know, that war was connected to folks in uh, the Andean region uh, in Central and South America. Uh, particularly against, you know, the revolution in Nicaragua and El Salvador. And so we all got uh, kind of destroyed. So me growing up as a teenager at the time, that really honed into me. Uh, this is what I was going to commit my life to, uh, you know, fighting back and doing every everything I could to try to make a contribution towards the liberation of my people. And to me, that always really centered in on, uh, going back, you know, south with my grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents before them, you know, uh, shed so much uh, blood and toil uh, uh, for for free at some at you know another for another people's enrichment uh, that there was a commitment I had to make towards you know um, helping the liberation, you know, helping to free the land. And so Jackson and our development of the Jackson kind of Kush plan strategy wind up being the most practical application uh, that I was directly involved in. So it was kind of a natural step from like concept to application for me to move here it was just trying to convince uh, other folks, uh, in, including the person sitting next to me, uh, that, that you know, this was going to be a worthwhile endeavor. And I think, um, you know, with, with, with plenty of struggle and strain, I think we're demonstrating uh, a model uh, you know, that, that other folks can learn from and draw from. And that's why we did the book. And that's what brought me here, uh, you know, to Jackson, but also to doing this interview to try to share the knowledge and information that we've gained. Thanks. We're, we're going to get to that in some of the, the specifics about Cooperation Jackson and the Jackson Kush plan. Um, but, but I have to ask, because because none of you are natives to the area. And, and Kali, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, how how Oakland natives are um, <laughs> <laughs> right about being natives and and who does and doesn't have a right to organize right in the town and it definitely had to inform um, me as a transplant right in terms mm -hmm. of how I engaged in the engagement of the people and and the struggle for African liberation here and I'm wondering the same thing for y'all like how does that inform the politic or the practice of organizing or is it a non-issue Nick? Oh no it's an issue. Yeah, uh, I figured. <laughs> no you best <laughs> believe it's an issue, issue and rightfully so you know yeah. um, you know uh, I know that logic from from growing up in LA you know uh, you had to have permission to come to my hood straight up you know uh, that was just to walk around it let alone organize in it you know at that time in place so that that mentality I definitely grew up and understood and have always tried to 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 walk and play my particular role uh you know on the basis of an invite and so you know the 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 groundwork for our work was laid a long time ago and that's what we always try to remind people you know to get them to understand you know uh, uh we are here because folks like Chokwe uh folks like you know Amari Obadelli 
you know, they they laid a path. They they established a, a, a groundwork. Uh, and there were folks before them, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, you can take it back to, you know, some of the, the groundwork of folks like Mega Everest creating the context of trying to bring in folks to help fortify the position and organizing, you know, that was going on uh, here. So, you know, Jackson is a place rich with with organizing history and tradition. So we, uh, I think, have always kind of viewed ourselves as really uh, just bringing more capacity to the question. Right. And bringing more uh, um, energy and resources, you know, to the greatest extent to the organizing, you know, uh, dynamics here on the ground. And believe me, you know, our right to be here is always uh, contested and and challenged. And to be honest, I wouldn't have it any other way, because I think you kind of got to earn your stripes wherever you are. You know, even if you growing up in my neighborhood, even if you're from the turf, you still a what have you done for me lately? You know, uh, kind of mentality. Uh, that I think keeps us on our toes, keeps us honest, and keeps us accountable to the greatest extent possible. So, you know, that's how we've tried to walk. I don't, you know, I don't take people kind of questioning whether, you know, I'm here as, as an affront, you know, uh, in any form or fashion, uh, and, you know, try to be mindful of uh, uplifting, you know, the forces that are here and doing, you know, as much work to kind of fortify their position, you know, and, and steer resources in that particular way. And we are going through a profound, what I would call like a, you know, uh, transition going on right now, which is uh, uh, doing a very intentional leadership. So making sure that, you know, the, the as we would say, the sons and daughters of the soil uh, are much more in the next phase of this organization's growth and development or, or at the front and center of that. And that process, I think, is proceeding uh, well. Now, we're not going uh, anywhere in terms of our commitment to it, but just kind of changing and shifting uh, uh, roles. I think I found, you know, part of what we were tasked to do was was kind of just bringing in, you know, the tools and skills that we've been able to acquire uh, wherever we were situated and then bring in resources. And, and that was a critical thing uh, that those, you know, uh, uh, like Chokwe, you know, uh, Makaya, Hondo, you know, folks like that who were on the ground leadership before we got here, you know, tasked us to do. Uh, because this is a place, uh, we can tell you from trying to do cooperative development, you know, the economics of this place is still very much controlled by the old planter uh, elite and their families, controlling the banking system, <laughs> controlling, you know, the fundamental resources, owning and controlling mo- most of the land. Uh, so trying to go to those folks to say, hey, give me some money to start a co-op, uh, good luck to you, right? And so folks knowing that, saying, hey, those of you who live in California, those of you who live in New York, those of you who live in Illinois, you know, where at least over the last 50, 60 years, uh, Black folks have been able to kind of, you know, accumulate a little something, uh, bring that back home, bring that to bear, uh, and help us, you know, uh, uh uh, with the resources we might need to grow and develop. And so we've taken that task very seriously and, and, and tried to do it to the best of our ability. But, you know, the key point is uh, we didn't come here on our own. We just didn't come here on some, you know, oh, Jackson sounds nice. Like, you know, folks are, uh, invited us in uh, and not just invited us in, uh, assigned us some key tasks. And we tried to live up and, and to work into those tasks. 
You're listening to Lawn Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks, in conversation with contributors and editors, Kalia Kunu, Matt Meyer, and Saki Hall, to a new book, Jackson Rising, Redo Lessons on Building the Future in the Present. All right, for some of my listeners who are new to this conversation, I don't know which one wants to take this, but um, Cooperation Jackson, what is it? Well, I had wanted to chime in on um, the transplant point real quick. I mean, I think that... um, it's been a challenge for me because I don't have family ties going back to um, here. Um, my mother is from Haiti and I grew up mostly in New York City. And so as soon as I open my mouth, folks know I'm from the North, right? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I guess I just to make it brief, will echo what Kali says and knowing how knowing how it is in other parts of the US like it's even deeper here right so like not being able to say who my grandmother was and knowing you know that my grandmother went to school with this person's grandmother or my parents went to school with that person's parents um i think you know it's deep um and like Kali said you know that that's important i think that that's um the beauty to hear and i'm also excited you know, and it's taken a while. And I think that it can be um, even to a deeper level as we continue to do leadership development. But I am really excited that people who have been members or people who are new, who are born and raised here, folks who decided to stay, folks who have come back are really, um, you know, picking up and um, taking leadership roles and, and, and taking the reins of the organization. So Cooperation Jackson, Um, has the mission and the vision to build a solidarity economy in Jackson, Mississippi, and the even broader aim of establishing economic democracy. Um, We have begun to develop cooperatives, uh, particularly worker cooperatives. We see those cooperatives as being interconnected. And really, the idea is to build an eco system, a web of interconnected institutions, businesses, you know, launching organizations that work together and support each other. And so with the cooperatives, although the goal, you know, is for them to be successful businesses and to provide outside services, the idea is also to provide a layer of protection by working together. So say, for example, Freedom Farms, that is growing food can get compost and has gotten compost from the landscaping cooperative which is the green team and so how do we build um, a chain within our businesses and within our institutions within the cooperatives um, within other practices that are a part of solidarity economy Um, and so things like time banking how do we have those connected to the point where we're not reliant on the outside market solely, like solely reliant on the outside market, right? Um, And so another institution that we have that's really key to our work is the Fannie Lou Hamer Community Land Trust. Um, And up until now, we've been able to acquire over 42 pieces of property in the West Jackson area. um, And we've already been able to develop uh, multi-use spaces. And so we have commercial spaces, we have residential spaces, we have spaces um, for growing food, and we have a lot of vacant spaces where we have the opportunity for community to engage in a process of deciding 
what it is that we want to see, what it is that we want to do. Um, although we know housing um, and affordable housing is key and critical. Um, and so we have things like our Ewing Street project um, where we want to build a pilot and a model of an eco-village and learning from other examples um, throughout the world to be able to look at um talk with community members about what that looks like and have them engage in the development of that. Um, and so, you know, we still we still are a young organization um, and we see ourselves as a vehicle for um, community ownership and stewardship of our land and our resources collectively and also uh, a vehicle for, you know, building on the history that has existed within our within the black community in the United States around a solidarity economy. I want to make sure that we're not playing inside baseball. So I'm going to ask you or, or, or Matt or whoever wants to take it to define solidarity economy as well as economic democracy. So under capitalism, uh, we are allegedly free to sell our labor power, the vast majority of us, right? And we are free because we've been untethered from the land uh, of our ancestors since that land uh, fundamentally was privatized, right? Somebody came and stole it, uh, then told us, you know, I'm going to gate this part off. I'm going to cut this part off. You can't go here. You can't go there. Uh, And what you can do, though, is now you can, you know, work for me or work for one of my relatives at a job because I've taken your ability to subsist on the land away from you by taking away your land. So what we are trying to do in many respects and what economic democracy is, is a pace to say, look, uh, we want to reverse as much of this, you know, enclosure and privatization of the, the earth and its natural resources and put that back into a communal process of of that we can control democratically, where we make collective decisions about who gets to use what land and why, uh, who gets to to produce various goods and services uh, and why and what to do with them, and to subject that to a broad process of us deciding those things together. Uh, and the argument is, and what we've seen in practice is, is when we democratically make decisions about where and how we want to live and what we want to produce, all the excess waste and destructive kind of capacity that capitalism is brought by just doing production for production's sake or just doing production so that only a few people can profit from it, all of that goes by the wayside, right? All the waste, all the environmental destruction, all of the extraction, uh, all the carbon emissions and, and environmental destruction is uh, uh, being committed by the system last 200 years in particular, uh, all that falls by the wayside. And so we put that out, uh, number one, as a challenge. Like, you know, with the, the system claims to uphold democracy, but why is it that the space that we, we, you know, at least as adults spend at least 50% of our time, why are they the most undemocratic places, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, within this, this kind of whole call society. Because typically what I mean by that, you know, you have a boss. Most of us have a boss still uh, who decides what time we come in, you know, what our wages are going to be, what our working conditions are going to be, 
Uh, and they set those terms. We don't set those terms. We They say that we agree to them by, you know, like signing a contract. But again, why I tried to lay out like how we would even set into these certain kind of relationships because we were forced into these relationships. Well, we're trying to create a new set of relationships that are much more mediated by direct democracy, us actually deciding when and how and for whom and for what that we actually work. Um, that's the the way I would kind of describe uh, economic democracy. And then the solidarity component of it is, you know, practices wherein we look to each other uh, about what we can do mutually for each other to benefit each other and to act in solidarity with each other to make sure all of our needs are fundamentally met. So Matt talked about the solidarity kind of components in, in working in solidarity, right? That I'm going to borrow from, you know, some comrades on the, on the African continent, you know, uh, who coined, you know, kind of this phrase is that solidarity is recognizing we have a mutual interest, even though we may be halfway around the world and working in concert with all of the, the resources that we have to stand in unison against common foes, against common systems, you know, so that we can live better. That's the solidarity that we are talking about building. And, and the solidarity economy framework uh, is really trying to create relationships that take capital and its kind of driving compelling force out of the center of our economic and social activities and creating things that we do for each other because we need to do them, right, to live a better life. And we do this out of solidarity and out of love for each other and for us being here. So the solidarity economy is, you know, creating co-ops, doing timeshares, doing childcare work together, you know, all the social reproductive work uh, that goes into making everything happen, sharing that and distributing equally. That is what the solidarity economy framework really pushes us to look at and examine. Um, so we hope that that that's a solid piece that, that helps the audience. I don't know if Matt, if you want to add more to that. Well, I just want to, uh, to bridge the gap and then I think we're going to go back to, to Saki, but between i think it's it's vital to note that between that philosophical framework and some of the historical framework is the very practical day-to-day -day work here in cooperation jackson in jackson mississippi there's a reason why commentator chris hedges said that jackson is the epicenter of resistance for all of us to emulate and that this book lays out that scene because the work of Cooperation Jackson takes all that history. So yeah, there's the Malcolm Room and the Fannie Lou Hamer Room and the center's called Balagoon Center based on New York Panther 21, Quasi Balagoon. The fact is those histories come together in day-to-day -day reality here in a way that is different, that is new, that is atypical of most of the 21st century organizing we see in the U.S., anywhere, anywhere in the U.S., geographically or in terms of uh, uh, community groups. It's very grassroots. It's very practical. It is connected to the land in very direct ways. It's connected to a multiplicity of tactics. So it's neither completely tethered to and, and uh, dependent upon electoral politics and the election of officials. Neither is it anti-electoral and say, we won't work at all in the system. It's both and all of the above. And that's one of the uniquenesses of Jackson and Cooperation Jackson. 
So by being an experiment that takes from the history and the philosophical, ideological constructs that Saki and Kali both laid out, we have a very unique experiment, which may go through decades and decades of coming to this point and nine years of actual history of the organization, but a very broad set of possibilities into the future. That's why the subtitle of the book is Lessons on Building the Future in the Present. And the idea is that this book hopefully will help us all have better conversations, not just about supporting Cooperation Jackson or the experiments here in Jackson, Mississippi, but all of these experiments. I mentioned earlier Kamau Franklin, uh, who's been in the news a lot because of Stop Cop City in Atlanta. Kamau has a chapter in this book because community movement builders in, in Atlanta in some ways is one of many or a growing number of local groups that are taken from the examples here in Cooperation Jackson and trying to replicate that in different ways in different communities around the empire. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to add on to what Kali was saying because um, uh, we are explicit with talking about uh, replacing capitalism, right? And um, we're starting to articulate and, and get down on paper this idea of um, conscious cooperatives. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about being able to build these things, have these things, see them grow, and at the same time, be in solidarity with workers, you know, across the spectrum and begin to push and move the idea of and the support of owning the means of production, right? And that part is um, critical to really being able to shift the tide. And Kali talked about social um, and economic, and we don't always realize how much of the social part and the reproductive parts of our daily lives are impacted by the economic. And so both of those things um, are really key. And I wanted to um, chime in on, on, on him saying those things. And also, we are very concerned with uh, climate change. We use a just transition framework. We're talking about being able to both produce and consume in ways that do not continue to extract from Mother Earth, um, and even in ways that um, are being relearned, because <laughs> this has been a part of a lot of folks' history, and, and some of the technology that's being created to be able to do it even more, but like actually healing mother earth right so it's not only about being able to stop what we're doing but we actually have to actively do things um to heal our ecology um and so that is another big part of of our work you're listening to Londa Soda. I'm your host, Kat Brooks, in conversation with contributors and editors Kali Akunu, Matt Myers, and Saki Hall to a new book, Jackson Rising Redo, Lessons on Building the Future in the Present. There's so much more that I want to cover, um, and the clock is ticking. Um, but one of the things I, I, I do appreciate, that, that there's some stuff that's laid bare in here, and I appreciate that because liberalism kills. Um, and there's a few essays in this book that, that reflect on criticism and a challenging transition that Cooperation Jackson went through 2017 and 2018. Um, Saki, you talk about it, uh, where Cooperation Jackson was being criticized for being, quote, ultra-left, 
um, and or pimping off of Baba Chukwe Lumumba's political legacy. Can you talk about that critique, um, how it led to some significant changes, um, and, and what you learned uh, from those struggles that informs the, the organizing, the politic, the praxis today? <laughs> so... I thought for a moment you were going to point to a, another um, article, and I think that both of those, um, I think that it makes sense to read both of them. Um, I, I mean, I'll talk about mine and what you um, just mentioned, but I, I want to make sure that I point out that the executive committee wrote a reflection on 2018, a year of struggle, lessons, and progress. And so... My contribution, Organizing for Self-Determination and Liberation Beyond the Basics in the Black Liberation Movement, both was a reflection of the experience in Cooperation Jackson, and particularly during a certain time period. You know, it was a bit of a response. And more importantly, I I tried to have it be something that um, spoke to lessons, but also like questions and thoughts um, and not necessarily trying to pose the solutions um, because it's a work in progress. Um, But, you know, being able to um, have questions that I think that we have to be thinking about, right? So like even how do we engage in principal struggle? Um, How do we see the role of con- like constantly sharpening each other through you know self-criticism criticism um and that cycle and you know i don't i don't pose the answer or talk about um transformative like uh accountability type of things but i i do um I do say that, like, we've got to, I hope I say, I'll say now if I didn't say in it, that we've got to get that right, right? Like, we have to be willing to engage in it so that we can practice it. And even if we're making mistakes with it, we have to um, be able to move past our the personal and the ego in order to get it right. Because that's how we're going to be able to strengthen to the point of building the collective force that we need to fight back, right? And to win. You know, so there were different iterations of um, this piece. And, you know, I think even in writing it, there was the lesson for me in how to talk about it without it being reactive. Um, And it, it made me think about sacrifice and how, you know, I don't have to necessarily go around uh, with the, you know, the listing or like on my sleeve, like the sacrifices that I have made, but I thought it was important to point some of those things out. And at one point, I don't think it made it in the book, but I was like, if, if I'm ultra left, then, <laughs> then that's what I need to be. <laughs> like, then I'm proud of that. And, you know, I think, in this article, I even speak to some of what you asked about and we talked about earlier, particularly Kali, with being a transplant and with, you know, the, the, the challenge politically and personally 
with coming to a new place, trying to dig in deep, trying to grow some roots and, um, and, and working with folks and actually being in the community and living my life every day with them and, and, you know, recognizing the privilege that I have in terms of my experience, in terms of my education, in terms of the fact that if I want to leave, I can. Um, and then at the same time, like being in a position where, um, you know, not having the full resources to care for um, a family and being on food stamps again, but this time as a parent. <laughs> um, and so um, I think between this article and the kind of like more creative writing piece that comes after it, I'm also um, trying to have us that are like full-time organizers and activists grapple with the question of what, how much are we willing to um, sacrifice? And are we like, I think that in a lot of ways folks have moved far away from the position of organizing themselves out of a job. Um, and so, um, uh, and then, you know, the other piece, because of having uh, been a part of the conversation around whether or not we engage in the electoral process when we don't recognize the U.S. government as legitimate and when we know that we're in a settler colonial empire, um, and then having gone through that and then really reflecting on it um, later on, um, I, I, I think that we need to discuss more and debate more how grassroots organizing and movements engage in electoral politics. Because I, I think that we're, like Matt said, like we still believe in and support like a municipalist like strategy. And then at the same time, we're making a lot of the mistakes throughout the country when we talk about electing black um, officials, we're making a lot of the same mistakes that have been made in the past. And, and you know, are we really doing it? Um, and so, you know, at one point I say, I question if the model I helped implement in Jackson had it right from its inception. And I was challenged to think about this even more deeply while in Germany for a housing gathering because there was a discussion that turned into like this fishbowl debate between me and a comrade from PA, it's a national housing justice uh, grassroots organization in Spain. Um, and the requirement for members of PA is that they step down from the organizations they've been a part of. So like folks have been a part of and building organizations and when they hold elected office, they have to step away from that. And for them, there's a, there's a, there's a line and uh, there, there can't be a blurred line between holding elected office and being in that movement or that organization because they see and we felt strongly about being able to hold the line and make demands in the interest of our members and in the interest of the community in a way that may have you challenge the elected of official, right? And so that official that's coming out of the same movement. And so um, I'm not completely sold on it being that model um, and that being the only way to approach it and even it being a way to avoid potential conflicts that can arise when you are, you know, trying to protect either side. But I think that 
and I say this in the book, the premise of their model was taken for granted here. And I think that that led to major conflict. And so I think now is the time as a lot of folks within movements are gravitating to both electoral politics and alternative <laughs> models of an economy, alternative models of housing, you know, talking about food sovereignty. As those two things are growing, how are they connected? How are they connected in a way that actually leads to transformation, right? And I think that that's one of the major contributions that we also, as having gone through uh, this experiment and still living through it, have to contribute. Thank you for that, Saki. And and I think these are really important conversations to be having and having very publicly. We are just about out of time. I want to give Kali and Matt an opportunity to say a couple of final words. Well, just to build on just quickly um, the, the last question, you know, um, I just want to impart to anybody who's listening, who's who's thinking about some of these lessons. You know, there's some core pieces uh, that we need to answer. And one, as it relates to, you know, some of this question around uh, electoral politics and engagement, like with the state, uh, is to just to give a fair warning to everybody. Like, look, uh, under, you know, uh, under bourgeois democracy, uh, what you are signing up for, if you're, you're, trying to be an elected official, you're signing up to try and manage the contradictions of capitalism. That's what you're signing up for. Uh, and I would say any person who is entering into that space uh, as a radical revolutionary has to go into that space understanding that the contradictions of capitalism actually cannot be managed. So if you're going to be there and you're going to situate yourself there, you're there to try to heighten the contradictions, not manage them. Um, and, you know, I just want to put that that out uh, as, again, a kind of a reminder and a warning because many people are thinking this. Um, and I think it's important, that, that, you know, because at some point uh, our movement is going to have to do a level of just direct and frontal confrontation with the state. And we need to be prepared for when that time comes. Um with the clear understanding that uh, it's not something to trifle with or bargain uh, uh, with, uh, you know, because capital will make certain concessions to to survive um, and has historically, and but we need to, to realize it doesn't do anything in its interest that's going to kill it. Um, and that is the subjective role that, that us, those of us who want uh, freedom and liberation, have to be very mindful of of what it's ultimately going to take uh, to to defeat this beast. And it's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more nuanced uh, than it sounds. And we can tell you that from, from our uh, history. And what we're trying to, like, share with these things is, um, you know, we're not sharing criticism of, of ourselves or others because it's cool or it, it makes us look good. We want you all to understand, like, Changing, trying to change the world is not a simple endeavor. Don't be naive about it. Uh, and it's going to take some hard work and struggle with yourself and with those that you, you know, that you love, right, uh, to really make happen. Uh, and if it was easy, it would have been done already, right? 
So that's just just some some pieces I just want to put out there as folks are kind of, you know, thinking about this and we all are reflecting on how do we improve our practice, uh, you know, with the ultimate aim and objective of of winning our, our liberation, seizing that, you know, through our, our own efforts. And we hope we kind of inspire folks to, you know, take the good with the bad and analyze it all critically to move forward. Rachel, I, I got to leave it there. There's so much more to talk about. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Y'all are listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Our guest today, Rakali Akunu, co-founder and co-director of Cool Operation Jackson. Kali served as the director of special projects and external funding in the mayoral administration of the late Chokwe Lumumba of Jackson, Mississippi. We've also been in conversation with Matt Meyer, an internationally recognized author, academic organizer, and educator, recently re-elected secretary general of the International Peace Research Association. And Saki Hall, a radical black feminist activist, mother, birth worker, educator, and journalist who loves creating. She's a founding member of Cooperation Jackson. All three are contributors and editors to a new book, Jackson Rising Redo, Lessons on Building the Future in the Present. Thank you all so much. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>